So I turned 50 this summer. That's what I did on my summer vacation. Uh, and, and 50 felt eventful at the time. We do that with milestones. You know, we, we turn them into events. We, we make big deals out of milestones. And, and I remember the other milestones. I remember when I turned 30, that was heartbreaking because I did not want to say goodbye to my 20s. I didn't want to let go of that number two there. That was, that was important. 30 was hard. And then 40, 40 was fun because 40 at least wasn't 50, right? And so well, 40's fine. I can be 40. That's, that's good. It's, it's fine. And we had fun with 40. And then 50 came. And I thought, well, now I've finally arrived. You know, I, I finally made it. I'm 50. You know, I'm an adult. I'm going to get the respect that I deserve. And then I remembered that most of you, many of you, you guys are older. And some of you turned 50, I don't know, maybe during the Eisenhower administration. Would that be about right? Some of you are that old? I don't know. Maybe not. But I got the typical response when I turned 50. You're just a kid. You have no idea. Just you wait. And it got me wondering, is there ever an age where that's not the response of other people when you hit a milestone? You're just a kid. I mean, when, when you turn 80, are there 90-year-olds? Some of you could tell me this. When you turn 80, are there 90-year-olds that go around saying, you got no idea what it's like. I wish I was 80. You know, that's easy. You should try being 90. You get into the Bible and you get to Genesis chapter 5, and I think it's there in verse 20, we're told about it. There in the generations, we're told about a guy named Jared. And Jared lived to be 962. That's pretty old. But you just know that Jared at 962 had to put up with Methuselah at 969 going, I wish I was 962. You think that's bad? <sighs> Billy Graham is 98. And when, when Billy Graham was 92, he wrote this book, Nearing Home, Life, Faith, and Finishing Well. And the very first paragraph, the very first words in that book, Nearing Home, Billy Graham says, I never thought I would live to be this old. All my life I was taught how to die as a Christian, but no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I die. I wish they had, because I'm an old man now, and believe me, it isn't easy. But you just know at 98 years old, there's some guy who's a hundred, telling Billy Graham, you have no idea what it's like. Psalm 90. Speaking of being 90. Psalm 90 is unique. Psalm 90 is not a, a psalm of David. It is a psalm of Moses. It's the only psalm in the book of Psalms of those 150. It's the only one that we're told was written by Moses. And we don't have any information about when Moses wrote this, but it's clearly from the perspective of an older person. Now Moses lived to be 120 years old. And in those 120 years, he saw some amazing changes. He saw some huge challenges. He made some big mistakes also. And you hear that kind of perspective reflected in the words of Psalm 90, which you'll find on page 496 in those Bibles in front of you. Aging is challenging. 
no matter where you are on that path. Aging is challenging, but those final chapters of life can be joyous. That, that final chapter of life can be a joyous period. It can be the most spiritually productive period. Last November, I had the privilege of attending a, a retreat in southern Indiana with Bob Russell. I'm wearing my Bob Russell Mentoring Retreat shirt today. I had, the, I had the privilege of attending this retreat that was led by two men. Ben Merrill, who's 90, and Bob Russell, who's in his 70s. And if you meet Ben, if you meet Ben, ben Merrill, the first thing you notice is the man has this incredible, infectious smile. Uh, he, is, he has approached those later years with, with so much joy and happiness. He laughs and he enjoys himself and he enjoys other people. He's an amazing guy who's led some amazing churches. By the way, Ben Merrill thinks an awful lot of Kansas Christian Church. Uh, a friend of mine ran into Ben a couple weeks ago and he says, oh, hey, Brett Hammond told me to tell you hi. And, and Ben's response was, Brett Hammond, you know, I've, I've had a lot of good churches, but I think his might be better than mine. And uh, I agree. I, I agree with Ben. And then there's Bob Russell. Bob's in his 70s. Bob is the retired uh, preacher from the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, a church that began with 120 people meeting in a basement, and a church that today is running about 25,000 in multiple locations. And Bob has retired. He's in his 70s. He's retired, but he hasn't slowed down any. He spends his time mentoring and teaching and blessing a lot of very young ministers like myself, young guys. Uh, and, and Bob does that with a lot of joy and, and a lot of grace. And so as I approach Psalm 90 today, I realize something as I open Psalm 90. I don't have the perspective of 120-year-old Moses as I read Psalm 90. And, and I don't have the perspective of a 90-year-old Ben Merrill as I read Psalm 90. I don't even have the perspective of a, of a Bob Russell in his now in his mid-70s. But I did have the blessing of listening to these guys. And so the thoughts I want to share with you today aren't just my thoughts, but it's some things that I've gleaned from spending some time with with Bob Russell and and drawing from from his perspective. This psalm gives us some insight about what our attitude should be like as we age. And from Moses' perspective, we can all declare, my security is in God. Therefore, I will be flexible and unthreatened by a rapidly changing world. You think about Moses. God called him into this amazing, with this amazing calling when he was 80 years old. And in those remaining years, Moses saw some huge changes. Moses went from growing up in Pharaoh's house as a, as a pampered prince to being a, a rugged shepherd living out there on the, uh, in the wilderness taking care of his sheep to being the, the leader of about two million backbiting, arguing, grumbling former slaves as they traveled through the wilderness. But what constants did Moses see through his life? The constant that God was always there. From his mother tucking him into that little reed basket and placing him in the Nile, to to running for his life after he had killed an Egyptian, to, to leading those slaves, to finally climbing Mount Nebo, God was always there. Psalm 90 begins in verses 1-4. through Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, 
you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Very often I'm, I'm asked to do funerals for people I don't know. And those are the hardest ones, the funerals I have for people I don't know. And, and what I've found that's helpful for me to kind of get perspective on that person's life without knowing them is to, to do a timeline of their lives. And if the person's an old, if it's an older person, if it's something in their, someone in their 90s, very often I will create a, a little timeline and talk about all the changes. A few weeks ago, I did a funeral for Gerald for a lady, I think she was 92. And I got to talk about all the changes that she had seen in her life. And some of them were interesting. When this lady was four years old, that was the year bubblegum was invented. She was four years old, and there was bubblegum. Four years old was when the first Mickey Mouse cartoon came out. And four years old was when penicillin was discovered. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good year to be four years old. Because you need all those things when you're four years old. But not all the changes that she had seen and not all the events were great. When she was 21 years old, 21, right there, first coming into adulthood, that was the year we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That was the year that happened. And those are difficult changes. And then there's other changes we don't talk about at all when it comes to those times. We don't talk about smartphones when people are in their 90s. There's no point in talking about smartphones. There's no point in talking about the problems of installing Windows 10 on a system that just isn't equipped for Windows 10. And we don't talk about New Coke anymore either. We just leave that alone. Just don't even do any bring up New Coke. Psalm 90 goes on and says in verses 5 and 6, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. My dad in his later years, he had this habit of saying, it's a changing world. And anything that, that came up when his, in his older years, his later years, he would say, it's a changing world. And, and, and those changes frustrated him and they, they frightened him. But you know, when my dad was a younger man, those changes excited him. Those, those changes motivated him. His generation saw some amazing changes. They, they saw jet travel. They, 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 saw, they saw phones and, and all those developments. They, they saw us land people on the moon. My dad's generation was responsible for things as wonderful as, as a moon landing and as horrible as leisure suits. My dad's generation gave us all of those things. And yet, as he approached the end of his life, change threatened him. It frustrated him. He, he felt like he couldn't keep up. And it still does that to us today. Technology does that to us today. Why can't I get my email the way I used to get my email? Why doesn't this program work anymore? Why shouldn't I click on that link on my Facebook page? It, it looks fine and they say they love me. I should click on that. Don't click on those links. And we get frustrated, we get fed up, we get angry, and sometimes we just check out and say, you know what, we're not even going to try anymore because we focus on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on what changes, focus on the one who never changes. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says of the hope that we have in Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Anchors don't move. That's what they do. Anchors hold you firm. And Moses found his anchor in God. 
from his childhood in the palace to running for his life in the desert to wandering in the wilderness, Moses was able to say of all of those events, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. So find your security in God. Be flexible and unthreatened by the world and its changes. Psalm 90 also gives us the perspective to realize my sins are many, but forgiven. Therefore, I will not fear judgment. Verses 7-9 through go on. And Moses writes, For we are brought to an end by Your anger. By Your wrath we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before You, our secret sins in the light of Your presence. For all our days pass away under Your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. We think of Moses as a great man of faith, and he was, but Moses was still a man. He still had failings. He still struggled with sin. As a young man, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Hebrew. And what did Moses do? He struck that man and killed him. And he ran for his life. Years later, Moses comes down off Mount Sinai with the tablets of the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. And he comes down and he finds the Hebrews worshiping a false god. He finds them worshiping a golden calf. And what does he do? He gets angry and he smashes those tablets. Years later, wandering in the wilderness, the people grumble because there's no water. And God tells Moses, He tells him, you speak to that rock and it will issue forth water. What does Moses do? He gets mad, he yells, and he strikes the rock twice. He seems to have struggled with anger and outbursts all his life. He never outgrew that. I remember being young and looking forward to being an adult when I would grow out of all of my bad habits. I've kind of grown into some of them instead. I would grow out of all of those hang-ups. And I don't know, guys, but I think there's an interesting perspective that I've gained from living in the same community pretty much all my life. And and watching a lot of us get older. And I start wondering, do any of us really grow up? Because <laughs> the, the things that I see that we were hung up on when, when we were younger, we're still hung up on those same things as we grow older. And, and Moses acknowledges that we're a mess sometimes. He acknowledges that God knows our mess and God even knows our secret sins. The reality is we, we all sin. And the reality is salvation is less about not sinning and acknowledging, it's more about acknowledging the fact that, yes, I, I am a sinner. Paul says to, to his friend Timothy, his young friend Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And you notice he says, I am the foremost, not I used to be the foremost. No, I, I am the foremost. He knows his heart. He knows his sin, and God does also. And until, you're, until you can come to a point, until you come to that point when you can admit that you are the worst sinner you know, until you're willing to admit that you are the worst sinner you know, you will never really understand the grace of God. You'll never understand the grace of, of Jesus Christ. Paul spends Romans chapter 7 talking about his personal conflict with sin he says the very things i want to do i don't do the things that my body wants to do we i keep on doing my mind doesn't want to do those things 
But in the end, after talking about this struggle that he has internally, the, the end is not condemnation. The end is peace through the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and he spends Romans 7 talking about that conflict within himself. But he begins Romans chapter 8 with these words, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Moses' perspective is important, but it's incomplete without Jesus. And you hear that in Moses' perspective here. Verse 11, he says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I remember I had just become a Christian. And I was standing, lining myself up with the old building. I guess I was standing about here. I don't know. Somewhere around this area. And I was talking to an older lady in the, in the community, an older lady in the congregation, and and honestly, I can't remember her name, and I wouldn't want to mention her name anyway, but she was a dear old, old saint, and she was approaching the final years of her life, and as we were talking, we got to talking about heaven. And you know what she said? She said, well, I hope I'm good enough to make it there. She was approaching the final years of her life by saying, I hope I'm good enough, and, and I, I kind of said, I, I don't think that's how it works, you know, I want to be respectful, but it's not about you hope you're good enough, and she said, oh, you never know. You never know. At the last minute, God could change His mind about me. And now I know where she was coming from because there was a day that that, that was taught and there was a time when we viewed that as humility. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I'm good enough. We viewed that as, as humility about heaven. But you can't say that and still trust in the goodness of Jesus Christ. You can't say, I don't know if I'm going to make it and still trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I have to approach judgment knowing for a fact that I am covered by His blood. It's not about me being good enough. It's about Him being a great enough Savior. When we approach the end of life without fear of judgment, we realize that we can say, my life is brief. My life is brief. Therefore, I will rejoice and make the most of today. Psalm 90, verse 10 says, the, year of our, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, and their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. You do everything right. Get all your exercise, take your walks, get all your exercise and, and work out. You eat all the right food, stay away from all the bad food, and you know what's going to happen? You are still going to die. And all that extra time that you got because you did the right things, you spent all of those extra, all that extra time, you spent it in the gym working out. You spent it in the gym being miserable. You spent it eating oat bran instead of bacon. You could have just been eating bacon instead. Verses 12 through 15 go on and say, So teach us, teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. The lesson here is obvious. My days are brief. My life is brief. Moses says our days are numbered. So let's make every day count. Let's gain a heart of wisdom with each passing day. And again, as a child, 
I grew up thinking that wisdom just naturally came with adulthood. I thought that's how it worked. I thought as you got older, you got wiser. And I thought it just happened naturally. Do you remember the name J. Howard Marshall? Anyone remember J. Howard Marshall? 89 years old, multi-millionaire oil man, J. Howard Marshall. 89 years old, he married 26-year-old model, Anna Nicole Smith. And he died at 90. She said she wasn't marrying him for his money. What's the old saying? There's no fool like an old fool. There's no fool like an old fool. And I understand now that wisdom doesn't come with age by default. And if we're not careful, our foolishness grows with our age. One of the most foolish things that we do is we try desperately to hold on to this life. We save money. We, we plan for retirement. We, we plan to be as comfortable as we possibly can with no guarantee that we're ever going to live that long. With no promise. In fact, the only promise we have is certain death. And yet the vast majority of people spend their lives saving and planning for the last few years that they're not even guaranteed. And they don't even give a thought to planning for eternity. They plan for a, a few years that they're going to, 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 to live in, in comfort without ever even thinking about eternity. And yet everything within us cries out, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Life is brief. Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have this example. We have the example of the eagle. We're, told, we're called to look to the eagle in Deuteronomy 32. I have friends that, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched, you ever watched the eagle cams online? They'll put a camera at an eagle nest and, and, and people, you, you love to watch the eagle cams. I got friends, I think they skip work. I think they stay home all day just to watch the eagle cam. And, and they'll talk about all the wonderful things the eagles are doing. Oh, there's, you know, the, they've hatched and the mother's doing this and the mother's doing that. And, you know, some of it's just disgusting, but they, they love those eagle cams. But Deuteronomy 32 calls us to look to the eagle because when those, when those eaglets are little, the mother takes such good care of them. She, she lines the nest with rabbit fur. She'll get lamb's wool and put that around the nest because she wants to keep it as comfortable as possible so those little baby eagles will stay in the nest where they're going to be safe. But when they get old enough that they should fly away, you know what she does? She, she stirs up the nest. She takes out the lamb's wool. She takes out the rabbit fur and she takes her beak and pulls all the sticks that have carefully lined the walls of that nest. She pulls those sticks out so they stick out and they prick the little babies until until they, they can't take it anymore and they want to fly away. Has it ever occurred to you that God does the same thing with us? Have you noticed those aches and pains? Every day, they're a little different. Every morning I, I get up and I tell Trish, I, I'm making my dad's noises again this morning. You know, those those Ugh! things that he used to, you know, in the morning he'd moan when he got up. And I never understood why that old man moaned so much. And now I understand why he, you know, why he was doing that. And it, I, you make those noises, it's, it's the same thing. God is telling us this world is, is not our home. Our span is, is but toil and trouble. Soon they are gone and we fly away. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly 
Our, our, outer, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so let's make the most of the time we have today. And let's realize my contribution still matters. Therefore, I will stay focused on what is vital. You know, it's one thing to see people fight and hold on to life in those remaining years, but there's another kind of foolishness. And that's the foolishness of those who let go way too soon. And too often, just as we're in a point in our lives where we could give our time and our energy uh, to, to the kingdom, we, we check out. We quit work, we, we release our responsibilities, and we decide to take life easy. But the Bible is full of examples of people who, in their older years, God used them. Moses is just one of them. Verse 16 goes on, and, and verse 17 wraps up, and it says, Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Listen to those words. Moses was well over 80 when he wrote those words. And what's his prayer? Establish the work of my hands. Let me make today count. Let the things I focus on this day, at this stage of life, be the things that are vital, the things that are important. Let them build up your kingdom and other people. But the key to that is understanding what is vital. What is of kingdom importance? What, will, what can I do that will have a lasting impact? Too many, for too many people, as soon as they reach that age where they can make a lasting impact, they, they immediately focus on the temporary. They focus on themselves. They focus on, on things that won't last. And years that could have been spent serving and, and volunteering and building friendships with younger people and mentoring younger people, those years are spent working on golf swings and taking pictures of places that are far away. And so I'm telling you, your contribution still matters. You can still make a difference. Be determined to set an inspirational example to others on how to face those final years. Be determined that at at your age, you will be flexible. You will be fearless. You will have fun. And you will be fruitful. Find younger people to encourage and motivate and share your wisdom. And maybe even share a little bit of the right kind of, of foolishness. Moses grew up in a society that, that built huge pyramids. And we still have them today. They built these amazing monuments to, to dead kings, to dead leaders. And yet, no one knows where Moses was buried. <laughs> Nobody knows where Moses was buried. He, he died up there on Mount Nebo, and God buried him himself in, a, in an unmarked grave. But you see, Moses' legacy is not a pyramid. Moses' legacy is his faithfulness to God. It's his willingness to be used to strengthen the kingdom, to lead people, to, to teach others. <coughs> and in many ways, his legacy is you and me. We're His legacy here today. as we, The way that we know God's truth, the way that we know God's care and His, His love and the sureness of His promises. Moses died at, at 120 years old. And at 120 years old, Moses had earned the right to say something to every one of us. He had earned the right to say something to every one of us. At 120 years old, 
Moses had earned the right to say to you, you're just a kid. Just you wait and see. You think you're old now, just you wait. You'll see what it's like. But he didn't do that. And if, if he were here today, I, I don't think he would have said that. I think instead he would have said exactly what he says there in verse 17. He would have looked at you and me, whatever stage of life that we're in, and he would have said, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.